You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your host, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pretz, and Kat Caden, with special guest host, Scott Kinder. What's going on, Scott? Uh, too late at night last night. I had friends show up from um, a month-long holiday in Europe, and they brought a uh, limited edition bottle of Jack Daniels and some wine, so uh, oh, it was a fun night. sweet. So you get both wine and Jack Daniels mix. I've never tried that. Yeah, I was about to say, you mix that together. <laughs> so I thought it would be good to do like a do-over, considering that the very first time that we interviewed you or talked with you about your background was, I believe, the second show... And we had major audio problems where we, as you remember, we had this whole reverb thing that we had going on. Unfortunately, that's the only tape that we have of you in your background. And we get a lot of questions, especially from younger kids who haven't gone into the military at all, but are considering different branches. And I'm sure you get those direct messages about the 18 x-ray program and all that kind of good stuff. So I thought it'd be kind of good for you to maybe talk about your background like you said, I was 18 X-ray, but before that, I worked for a Fortune 500 investment bank and the dot-com uh, startups all around New York City and international. So I um, I ran international operations for a couple of dot-com back in the uh, internet booms. When 9-11 happened, I realized that, you know, in my early to mid-20s that that's not what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. And I found out about the uh, 18 X-ray program and wanted to be a... Uh, Want to be Green Beret, so I was supposed to go to West Point. My older brother is a West Pointer, as everybody who listens to the show knows, because I kind of talk about him a lot. Um, I got in an argument with my dad and said, you know, hey, I'll show you I'm not going to West Point, this free Ivy League education that I, I should have gone through. Instead, I went and played soccer in college in Chicago. But um, I always felt like I had this void missing in my life, and that void was kind of serving and, and giving back. So originally, my my wife, who was my then-girlfriend, and I had a conversation, which was going to be four years and, and back to Australia because she's Australian, which is why I'm here. And that didn't work out so well. I um, In fact, it worked out better for me because I, I did make it to a team. I, I spent several years or a few years on the team. I won't say several because I'm not a retiree. And then I kind of pulled a fast one on her and went the uh, the government route after my team time. And so for, for a couple personal reasons, I went from being a team guy to a federal-level um, special activities program manager and stood up the uh, 3X section at MARSOC with, um, with some help. So, yeah, so it was good. Um, but like you said, nothing, nothing about those travels came easy. The success definitely wasn't guaranteed any step of the way. Yeah, it's usually a little bit different route than what most people take because 18 x-rays go off the basic training at Fort Benning along with 11 Bravos and then after that they go to airborne school provided they pass that then they go to like a pre-selection course then special forces uh, selection and then you're at that point you're pretty much tied in with your active duty people who apply for special forces right yeah I mean um like like you said I mean it was a I think the pipeline has changed slightly as far as what the Q course is nowadays, so so we don't have to get into the, the changes in the Q course, but I mean, you, you know it, it was um, straight off the streets into basic training, you know, infantry basic training in Sand Hills, Georgia, which was copious amounts of fun for, for a civilian to, to go into trying to, you know, tell these, you know, Drill sergeants and, and everybody there that, you know, hey, yeah, I want to be a Green Beret because I think it was lofty enough for most of my, my peers to, to say they had Ranger contracts or airborne contracts. But 
there was roughly a dozen of us first guys in the class and, and you know here we are saying like oh no I don't want to be a ranger I don't I don't want to be airborne I'm gonna I'm gonna be special forces you know and it, looking back the the pride no wonder we were mocked kind of incessantly the entire time but uh, you know I, I wrote about it in, in a few blogs in, in my book but that mocking in all the smoke sessions of just getting absolutely crushed by the Joel Sargent survey I was trying to tell us it who are we to, to have these lofty aspirations did nothing but the counter effect of making us stronger or making, well, I mean, I can't say all of us because only three of the roughly dozen made it to a team, but um, it made me stronger for sure. And it, it made me absolutely positive that I didn't want to fail and no offense to regular conventional army people in the world, but I knew that that was not where I wanted to spend the next several years of my life with people who were, going to seemingly constantly remind me that I was not the special forces guy that I wanted to be. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how many of those actually made it. The fact that only three made it kind of speaks volumes about the difficulty and challenges that one ends up taking. Yeah, the, the numbers, I think, so, so the ATXJ program is, and I'm, I'm sorry that Mike's not on the call because I'm sure he would have his uh, retired CSM a lot more better numbers about the x-ray program than, than I have at my disposal. But um, I think it kind of went in cycles. You know, originally it was you were supposed to have a college degree. You're supposed to have life experience. You're supposed to have, you know, all these kind of, you know, check the boxes things. But like like yeah. any program, those, you know, the numbers were needed and, and some people kind of slipped through. So there's there's a lot of, you know, retired SF guys and career SF guys who either, you know, it's kind of polar. They really love the 18 x-ray program and i don't want to say because they got guys like me or they hate the x-ray programs but might be because they got guys like me on the team but you know i, I was lucky enough that i made it to an oda and, and the worst part of the whole deal was a few of my friends the x-rays who made it into to groups often they got sent to a b team or they weren't a good fit or they had some kind of you know personality space so so i took the I took every piece of advice that I could to, to get that success guaranteed. And, you know, I tried to be as absolute much of a sponge as I could be. And I, and I listened to the guys like Mike and I, and I got to the team and, and I did what everybody told me to do. And I just sat in the corner and shut up because the Q course is an amazing product and it makes you an amazing soldier and it, and it teaches you a lot, but it doesn't qualify you to, to serve with the people that you end up serving with only being on that ODA and, and serving with those guys is absolute amazing type A heroes in an ODA that aren't found anywhere else in, in the world. That's what makes you a Green Beret. And that's what makes you a Special Forces soldier. So, soldier. so I, I did. I, I shut up. I sat down. And, and I just admitted to everybody that if it was part of the Q course, I knew it. And I, I could do it to standard. But um, as far as anything else, I had, I mean, I had no idea. The Q course doesn't teach you where the gas tank on a Humvee is. It doesn't teach you, you know, how to do a lot of stuff. It teaches you how to be a basic Special Forces soldier but doesn't prepare you to go to your, your actual team and do a lot of stuff, or it didn't at the time is to the degree that was required. So you, you talk about special forces, you know, I, I know that you absolutely define a lot of who you are by having done that. So why did you leave? Why did you choose a different route? You jumped from one area where it's kind of, it is defined, for you and there's a lot of people that have done it before you that are willing to give that information and you kind of I mean you left Cush <laughs> you know the information to expand I guess which is a huge risk but made up your mind to do that so, <laughs> uh, family um, you know we, we all we all talk about family 
really, I think, two parts, Kat, to your question, which is, you know, why did I leave the teams and why did I leave military and government service at the end of my times? And, and I guess the ultimate answer would be, why am I sitting back in Australia today instead of doing the stuff that I, I loved? And again, the simple answer is, is family. You know, I when I commit to something, I typically go completely involved in it and immerse myself to, to every degree possible, as does anybody who's going to be successful, right? So, so getting to a special forces team, I threw myself into being in that team. And, you know, so, so going back, my wife was my then girlfriend. We, we got married on our six-month anniversary. We're still happily married today, so there's no drama with that. But um, two weeks after we got married on our six-month total knowing each other anniversary two weeks after that i was in basic training with as you can imagine you know zero comms and and no ability to go back and go from basic training to airborne school she pins on my airborne wings and all that stuff so she was an integral part of the whole passage but getting to the teams as you can imagine trying to be that sponge if special forces guys aren't deployed to combat in my opinion they're deployed to training or they're preparing for combat or they're doing something so we we used to laugh that during my military career, as I'll call it that, even though I didn't retire, I was gone 75 to 80 percent of the time. And I've got, you know, Robert knows some of the stories. You know, I've got a story that is pretty famous. I was in a, a month plus school, a six week long school at Fort Bragg, and I was stationed at Fifth Special Forces Group at Campbell. So I was gone for six weeks away from the wife and kid having a great time. But the school I was at was completely civilian clothes, completely, you know, everything kind of special forces, special forces. And right before I'm supposed to come home and preparing to come home and preparing for a long weekend with the wife and the son and all that, I get a call from my team sergeant. Hey, there's a spot at sniper school opening up. Can you go to sniper school? So, you know, which is another several week school. So, you know, I'm like, well, I don't have any of my, you know, I don't have any of my gear. I don't have any of my, my stuff. And he's like, oh, we'll FedEx it out to you. So, you know, here I am all happy that I'm getting a spot to do something, you know, more tactical and more, you know, kind of sniperish and, and cool guy stuff to me. So I call my wife on a Friday before I'm supposed to come home on a Sunday and say, great news, babe. I'm, I'm going to sniper school. I'm going to be here for another six weeks. <laughs> so as you can imagine, you know, those those conversations didn't stop the whole thing. Kat, I see you shaking your head. As a wife, I'm sure you know. It's not the right. Looking back, I can I realize how amazingly stupid I was. But, you know, it, so I, I left the teams because my team was exploding. Um, my, my team leader who... Pete Sims, who is one of the guys I, I most respect still in the world today, was going to business school. My team sergeant was retiring. We had a new team sergeant who, who I liked very much. So it wasn't a, a stain on him at all. Um, two of the guys were going warrant officer. Two other guys were ETSing and going elsewhere and going to SPIC tours and whatever. So this core group of brothers who, who I had known for my whole time and, and been to combat with and everything, it just was, was going like that. Couple that with the fact that, you know, my, my best friend, Eamon Taha, was killed soon from returning from an Iraq trip. And, and you know, Camilla, my wife, had kind of had her, her fun with me being on a team. And, you know, that, that four-year initial investment had turned into much more than four years. And I was still playing cool guy. I was still having the time of my life and, and loving it because until you're on an ODA, there's nothing like being on an ODA. There's no place in the world like that. I'm sure Rangers and everybody else have similar stories. But um, so I went the federal route, and that was still more of the same stuff. It was traveling 80% of the time, trying to do the right thing, preparing guys to go to combat. And, and I threw myself into that as well. So it was literally 10 plus years into this journey. And I get back from a trip to my, my favorite cigar and a bottle of wine that's sitting out on the porch of my wife. And she says, Hey, 
we were supposed to have been back in Australia several years ago. Like, I'm not complaining, you know, we're fine, but what is the deal here? You know, what are we doing? And, you know, by the way, our son is 10 years old or however old he was at the time, and we laughed that you've been gone 80% of that, but that means, you know, we blinked and this time's gone by and, and you've missed eight of his 10 years if we do simple math. And, you know, that's not who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be that distant father and, and no offense at all to the guys who, who make that choice and, and are the, those fathers. But I was very close to my dad before he passed away. And that's not, it's a very long answer. I apologize, but um, it's not who I wanted to be. Not everybody has their reason. I know that when you got out though, that successful mindset that you had of wanting to achieve, not just the conventional army, but wanting to go and receive some of the best training that the military has to offer is what also drove you when you got out again to starting to become an entrepreneur, running a business, establishing several other businesses. And of course, you're doing something new even right now, as well as authoring a couple books. So I think that's that constant drive was obviously instilled into you very early. I mean, you can tell me otherwise, but I would say that there was probably some things within the military service that also helped you build upon that and those principles, the way to guide you towards even whatever, however you describe success. No, um, absolutely. So obviously not everybody listening to the show w would know me, but those who do know me, you know, when I was seven years old, uh, my dad took his, my, my younger brother and I to, to a martial arts to take one no class and said, you know, hey, let's. Let's put you guys in what we call karate because we were living in the South, right? So it's seven years old. I looked around the room and I was like, this is really cool. I really like this. But I don't like being this white belt thing or that orange belt. I want to be the black belt, you know? So so anything that I think that, that I decide that I want to put my mind to, but like I said, I, I kind of shoot for the stars. And, and that's, that's both a good thing, but it's also a, a hugely negative thing because sometimes, you know, I can't say that every single idea that I've ever had or every single desire that I've ever had, especially as an entrepreneur, they've not come true. I mean, and so, you know, I, I often joke with people that being an entrepreneur and, and being self-employed is, is, you know, rougher than combat. And, and that's kind of tongue in cheek because I'm not minimizing combat and comparing it to being an entrepreneur. But it's rough. It's rough trying to, to chart your own way and have these ideas and go stuff, especially being, you know, like Kat said, that, that type A guy in, in being that guy who embraces this whole soft mentality. And, you know, so, so I was even more conflicted because not only was in my green beret and my heart of hearts, you know, and, and I love the special forces community, but I was at the time a pretty integral part of helping stand up, you know, special operations and special operator Marines and creating and crafting those guys as well and, and you know went back to afghanistan with, with them too so not only am i an army special forces guy but in my heart i have a huge part of me that's you know committed to the marine special operations guys as well so um but looking at things differently from being a team guy to uh, a, a, an 0506 level you know program manager it just created and helped craft who I am and instilled that drive in me even more. So, you know, my, my true friends will, will listen to me. And I've got another huge project in the works right now that I'm spending a lot of time on. I think my wife is is kind of always listening to me go, well, I can do this and I can do this. And everybody's like, sure, you can, Scott. Like, go for it, you know. And not everything works out, which is why I tweet things like, the number one thing about being in business is being adaptable, right? Because, and right now I'm being adaptable. I'm my whole, what I thought the kinder group and, and I would be doing 
post-military and post-government service and what I'm doing now on a daily basis to much different things. And if you look at other successful, and I'm not comparing myself to Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or anybody else success-wise, but if you look at most people who have that same type of mentality, Apple wasn't what Steve Jobs thought it would be, you know, and, and I mean, Microsoft wasn't what Bill Gates thought it was going to be. Robert, I'm sure through your travels, you have similar experiences, and Kat, I'm sure through yours, you have similar experiences, because that's why we all gel is is friends and, and, and co-workers and everybody else, because we have this same type of mentality. I hear often individuals say things like, well, you know, if I had that kind of success, or if I was able to do this, or if I was able to do that... I think some don't understand the hard work and effort and sweat equity that must go into any type of success that you do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a job. It could be something that you want to do in being the best at, you know, a sport that you're doing and, and if you're in school or an activity that you're doing outside of work and giving back to the community or whatever it may be. So success can be measured in so many different ways. But quit trying to compare yourself to somebody else. Define who you want to be and establish a goal. It may be more than one success that comes along the way because you re attain that goal and you move on to the next thing. And I think, too, I, I want to kind of talk about failures along with that and how we learn through our failures. Because I've certainly learned through my own failures. Learning from failure is, is perhaps one of the most defining things that you get ingrained in you as a special operator of, of any variety, whether you're a SEAL, a Green Beret, a Marsoc Marine, whatever, Air Force. There, there are parts of the Q course, and here's the, the tip of the day, kids, right? If you want to go to the Q course, there's parts of any special operator training that you will not be able to succeed in no matter how hard you try. And it's that way by design because you can't take type A people and you're never going to have success 100% of the time. Because that's not that's not life, and, and that's definitely not combat. So, so the training that you learn, if you truly embrace the special operator mindset, whether it's you know Rangers or, or Green Berets or SEALs or whoever, you're gonna fail, and you're gonna fail absolutely spectacularly, and you're gonna fail, and you're gonna look horrific to yourself, to your peers. You're gonna question why you're doing what you're doing. You're gonna question who you are. You're gonna question your motivations. You're gonna question everything in your inner heart and, and what that is. But in reality, it's a, it's a learning lesson. And so just like life and business and, and everything else, it's, it's learning from your mistakes and you know, defining catastrophic versus not catastrophic. You know, what actually is going to kill your business or kill your career? Or you know, There's lots of things that you'll do that they might have a monetary loss. They might have an emotional loss. They might have a pride loss for sure, but it's not catastrophic. So just learning to be adaptable and continuously redefined with successes along the way that's what makes you who you are as a success. It's not slaying every goal 100% of the time. And I have close friends who I argue with, my brother, the West Pointer being one of them, that you know, he says, well, I don't think you have to learn from failure because I've never failed. And he hasn't, right? I mean, he, he went to West Point. He went to an Ivy League business school. He's now a, a multimillionaire. He, he is very successful. He hasn't failed. But he is definitely not the norm so on this bell curve of life and society he's well on one side of it but the rest of us you know we're, we're not there so learn to identify failure but more, more importantly learn to redefine success along the way and check your ego at the door because i couldn't walk into my team room and go hey listen up everybody scott's here and you know, here i am and i'm gonna teach you guys all about the new key course and, and all this stuff and 
that's not going to work. Right. So, so telling people, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't walk into a conventional military unit and say that. So, so learning to check your ego at the door and, and have that inner pride, but not let it, not wear it on your sleeve is, is hugely important as well. Well, you set goals and like many of us, you refuse to give up. And I think that's part of it. And understanding that the failure is going to be part of that whole recipe. And in the end, you're going to fail many times before you have that success. But when you reach that success or you reach that goal, it's time to set a new goal because you don't want to become, you know, rest on your laurels or, or, or rest. And most people don't. If they're a goal setter and they're an individual that chooses to go out and, and be successful, success is defined over and over and over many times. I can't really even say that I've had a success without failure. And I certainly haven't reached all my successes because I continuously place new goals on myself to try to to achieve those things. And I, I realize that, again, nothing's going to come easy along that path. You're right. I mean, it, goals goals are great. I mean, I, I set new goals every day. You know, This is how I want to interface with my 13-year-old son and my 9-year-old son. This is what I want to do on a, on a personal level. This is what I want to get done work-wise. The problem with goals typically are, you know, it's not a straight line A to B. This is my goal. This is my path. And I'm just going to go straight there. Typically, you have to walk around, you know, C, D, E, F, G, H, I for a while. And then, you know, hey, look back and, and come back on track and, and redefine what that goal is. But I think that's where a lot of people are, are, you know, really mess up is that once they encounter that first hurdle along the way from A to B, they go, oh, well, you know, this was a bad idea. I shouldn't do it. That pride starts to kick in. The fear starts to kick in. And, and you know, my wife tells all our friends, like, if you put a hurdle in front of Scott, he's either going to knock it down, go around it, blow it up, do something with it. But I don't believe in hurdles, right? I mean, okay, so you put something in my path doesn't mean I'm going to stop along my goal. It just means that I have a different way to get there than I thought I did. So, again, going back to that adaptability, but you're, you're right. It's just that inner belief in yourself that is going to happen with the ability to redefine goals along the way and reprioritize and be adaptable. That's what's going to make you a success. It's not the ability to slay goals 100% of the time because that's not going to happen. I mean, I could ask Kat her goals are, are along the same lines and, and Robert, your goals are, and if Mike and Rudy are on the show, their goals would be very similar in that they don't just happen the way that you plan them out to, to, to go. No, I agree with you. I think that having a plan and a goal is really important. And one thing that I've learned, especially from friends is to allow yourself to complete that goal. Cause a lot of times you get discouraged and then that goal just completely flies away. And then you're on the next track of trying to find something else new that you're passionate about and you involve yourself in completely and then that blows up and that goal's gone and you're just completely in this whirlwind of shit, which I have been in in the last five years. I've learned a lot of things, which I'm grateful for, and I've learned a lot about myself, but I really think if you can allow yourself to finish, even with failures, because that was something that I struggled with a lot, especially coming out of the military, and the same reason I got out because I had kids and I my husband's in the military, dual military families is extremely hard. To the ones that can do it, bless you, because I have no idea how you can constantly be flip-flopping, especially with having children, and, and I have three daughters, so it's, it's crazy. So I really felt like having a stability, some sort of stability for them, a constant, was important because I didn't want to create three little hooligans that I'm going to throw out into society later. So I figured, you know, I'm going to come home and I'm going to stay home and do this. And then having looked back, what I left, what I was good at, you know, I was successful 
at being in the military. I had just got to do all of these amazing opportunities that now have opened the door to all women in the military, you know, being in combat. And, and the girls that I worked with, I, I call them girls now because I'm a civilian, but the women, females, whatever that I work with that did this mission with me, we paved the way for women now, you know, and I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's an unbelievable feeling. And at, at the time and at that moment, you're just like, yeah, this is awesome, you know, and now I need to move on to the next thing. Well, the next thing for me was leaving all that behind. And that really, now I'm here being a mother, going to school, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, still trying to be connected to that military side. And, and it's, it, it sucks, <laughs> you know, it's like I left what I was so good at and what I loved so much. And, and I did it for my family because I love them more. And I know the reward versus the return or whatever that is. My family's always going to be there. That experience is always going to be there. But now, like, like you said, Scott, like now I have this hurdle of, for me, is trying to find who Kat is and being successful. What's going to make me happy? What's going to make my girls happy and balance the two? And, uh, and I had a really hard time knocking those hurdles down. I got really down on myself and really and just in my head thinking that I wasn't going to be as awesome as I was in the military and I wasn't going to have my comrades and I wasn't going to have this structure and this and this system that congratulated I mean we we did amazing things on on that mission and in changing history I mean it's huge and I and I know that now then it's like oh yeah this is awesome you know I want to try something else like this but I think the biggest thing that I can contribute to this is just giving yourself a break and kind of calming down and, and, and recentering, finding a goal, finding, even if it's something that you want to try something and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Even in a matter of time you invest in it and that might piss you off too. Like, Oh, I've, you know, I have, I mean, I'm the first to say I have over 120 credits, you know, that will hit a bachelor's degree. The degree I'm going towards now, I am like less than substantial. Like my little timeline on my calendar says you are at like barely a quarter of getting your bachelor's degree in this field. And I'm like, <laughs> I have like 300 degree or 300 credits for a bachelor's degree. Like what the hell, you know? But I mean, that's, but that's what I want to do. Like that's what I finally found some fire that even though I have invested all this other time into other things. You know, that's, that is just tools that you put in your toolbox, which is, I absolutely hate that analogy, but everybody uses it. Like, oh, you have the toolbox, all these things you can put inside of it and then pick out as you choose. Just give yourself some time. The first thing you have to do is you got to set, and, and you both set it, a vision that you believe that you can actually accomplish. So it's got to be a realistic thing of the future that you intend to create. So it's a dream with a direction, it's an idea, it's it's a goal that you're going to set out there. So that's the first step, and you've got to establish that in order to move towards that to accomplish it. And if you don't have a clear vision and a, and a clear direction that you're going to go into, then you're not going to be successful ultimately. In the no, I, I agree. I think that, you know, so, so failure number one for most people would be people aren't defining success properly and coupled within that psychologically i think a lot of people are actually terrified of being successful and i think i was for a bit as well um as you both know through, through previous conversations off the podcast 2016 was a abysmal horrible ugh, yucky year for 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 me personally and professionally um there's a lot of stuff that happened and you know for a while 
you know, I, I don't want to say I sort of feel sorry for myself because that sounds very non-soft guy to, to do. But, you know, I finally looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know, it's not everybody else's fault. This is my fault. What am I doing wrong, right? And we used to say that in group all the time. Like, if you think everybody else is all jacked up, maybe you should look around and, you know, and see, you know, maybe you're the one that's all jacked up and it's not everybody else, right? And and, and Stanley McChrystal talks about that in Team of Teams, you know, the point where you hate everybody else as a soft unit and everything else. But um, I think that I just did what I, what I knew to do is that soft guy. I, I said, all right, so what can I do? How can I be adaptable? How can I define success and redefine success? And so now I'm doing something pretty markedly different than I was doing last year. And, you know, when I started off the kinder group on my entrepreneurial journey, it was all consulting and helping clients and doing this. And you know what? Like, I really don't like consulting because to be a valued consultant, you have to come in at bottom dollar. So, so me being a soft guy, I have to under promise over deliver and do all this stuff. So, so what I'm doing for a few months with a client is absolutely busting my tail, trying to improve their condition and dragging them along the way. And most people, honestly, don't want to be drugged along the way. So I find myself working with people who don't want to be helped, who don't want to be doing that. So I said, all right, Scott, start teaching. You're a teacher. You're an SF guy. So I, I started corporate teaching, and I really enjoy corporate teaching. And now I'm helping teach kids, and I'm doing other stuff. So even along my path of what I should do, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to do this. And I was making money and liking it, but it wasn't making me happy. Now I'm redefining who I am again because I have an amazing wife and kids and the ability to, and, and I love it. You know, it's, it's that constant path. So who knows what I'm going to be when I grow up, but it's going to be an interesting path along the way. You don't get to pick and choose which ones are the, the easy ones or the hard ones and maneuver through those. You're going to have to face every challenge as they come along. And most people don't see through success of the dedication, the sweat equity that you've put into it, the money perhaps that you've put into it in, in investments or in, in losing money throughout your failures or through your success in climbing. So they don't see that sacrifice that's been put in. What they see is the end results. And sometimes they don't even see the true result. What they may see is what's on the surface. And they believe that that is success. Understand you're going to have your own challenges. Create your own vision about how you want to go about doing it. But understand, too, it's going to take a lot of hard work and sweat equity. And at the end, you'll define what that success is. You probably should have defined that success or how you're going to measure that against yourself in the very beginning when you establish the vision. 100% agree with you. Look at Mike Pritz again, right? I mean, retired as a command sergeant major, Green Beret. I mean, talk about a career, right? I mean, as far as an enlisted guy, like that's the pinnacle of what you can achieve in the special forces world as far as rank and, and entitlements, right? Now he's going back to school and, and putting himself at, at you know, a very low position to be a student. So, so far too often, I think that many of us, sometimes myself included, we get this level of pride that says, I should be here. You know, God, God bless it. I was a 05, 06 equivalent in Marsoc. You know, I should now be you know, anywhere else as I go there. And, and you know, instead, I'm cleaning the toilets in my house and doing dishes and doing whatever else. So you know, like sometimes you have to just stop everything and go, all right, who, who am I? Right. I mean, and that's, that's a very soft thing to say out loud because we know that planning sucks. We know that it doesn't suck, but planning is great. But if your plan never survives contact with the enemy, all these other it, sayings, everything else, but far too often we refuse to do exactly what Mike did and put ourselves in, in these student shoes 
to get to that next level, what we want to do. And, and I love watching and hearing about his journey because he's going to be absolutely amazing, successful in his, in his new path as a new teacher. And I'm sure that, you know, he'll be a tenured Harvard professor one day or something, you know, and make it look easy for everybody else. <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek, but I'm absolutely convinced he will because it, the guy just is unstoppable. So when you look at not Scott Kinder, but the the history of other guys that do this. I mean, and it's not just SF guys, right? Um, the two SEALs, Leaf and, and Jocko, that wrote Extreme Ownership, right? I mean, they went from being SEALs in Ramadi, wrote this book on their ideas, and now they're up slaying it as consultants. And Jocko, you know, tweets out pictures of his watch and gets out, you know, 5 million likes in 30 seconds and whatever. So, I mean, it, but it's all these continuously, re, you know, defining yourself that, that makes you successful. And, and it's not always, I don't, I don't want to change a kinder group if I'm having successes, but happiness plays a large part of that. And, and if you can't put yourself, if I couldn't have been that quiet guy sitting in the corner on an ODA, I never would have stayed on the team it, or been, a, I'll change that. I never would have been allowed to stay on the team because it's a right. It's not a, it's not a privilege. You know what I mean? Something I was thinking, a lot of times we talk about like, oh, you know, you, you have to find this this happiness, you have to, you know, let give yourself a chance and be okay with failure. But I really think something that's important is to eliminate the toxic avenues that are in your life. Because a lot of times we, we still are connected to people that are in the SOC community, in, in the military, and, we, and, you know, with social media and the news. And I think we need to give ourselves some credit, but I really think eliminating that toxic energy that everybody is drawn to negativity. Something that I've learned just with myself is just, if I can eliminate this self, what is it, the negative talk and not constantly looking on social media and saying like, oh, their life is perfect and, and my life sucks because I'm just such a piece of shit. No, it's like you, you can't see what's on the other side for them too. So to give yourself some credit, but to eliminate the toxic thoughts, the toxic going out and doing things that are not, uh, healthy for you or your family. I think that also is really important to um, to success and climbing hurdles. Redefining success and, and reacquiring targets and readjusting, just having that ability to laugh. Sometimes you just have to realize, like, you're not going to hit all those goals. And, and again, my whole life has taught me that anything I wanted to do, if I wanted to play, you know, high-level soccer, I wouldn't play high-level soccer. If I wanted to get a black belt of martial arts, I got a black belt. I wanted to be a green brain. Boom. The only thing in the military I didn't do was go to ranger school because, you know, in, in group at the time, they just sent the, the troublemakers to ranger school to wash them out and get them away for a couple months. Any goal I had, I slayed until I became an entrepreneur. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to get 500 Twitter followers. And I'm going to get 1,000 Twitter followers. And, and these, I'm going to put a book out with 3,000 Twitter followers. And if I do my metrics and, and nerd out on the math here, if 10% of my Twitter followers buy my book, that's at least 300 was, sales. If it was only that easy, Nothing. yeah. Everybody always thinks, oh, of course, exactly. followers, and I've heard that a lot, followers don't equal dollars. I, I think what we've talked about here, though, is important because not only did we talk about your background and the success that you had and the failures that you've admittedly told us about that you've had along the way that taught you lessons to help you reassess your life and your vision, I think is first creating that vision and creating a goal and a plan that's a reasonable goal and vision that you feel like you can achieve, understanding that there's going to be failures along the way that you're going to learn from those lessons, hopefully, 
that you're going to have to put in a whole lot of hard work as you go through the process. Don't let the noise in the system or the people outside discourage you in your efforts of what you're wanting to become or do because there's going to be a lot of failures and people are going to point to you and say, maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you should reassess. If this is truly your goal, continue on the path that you're on and just maybe reassess a few things, but don't lose sight of the overall goal that you're after and realize that it's going to take time. And then also something that can't mention is don't let the toxic or you're comparing yourself through social media and other avenues bring you down as well because you can do it to yourself as much as individuals can do it to you. So again, set the vision, understand there's going to be failures, learn from those mistakes, put in the hard work that's going to go along with that. Don't listen to yourself or others as you start the journey. And I think that you'll find small successes or even large successes as you go through it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.